Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we talk about the latest in zero-knowledge research and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. Before we start in, I want to say thank you to this week's sponsor, Alio. Alio is the first platform for fully private applications. It uses blockchain and zero-knowledge cryptography to deliver a web experience that is both personal and private. With Alio, developers can write private applications without a background in blockchains or any expertise in cryptography. The team consists of world-class cryptographers, engineers, and designers. And as a quick side note, I've also been working on a special project with Alio that you will be hearing more about later this fall. So Alio has released Developer Preview 1, which is an early peek at what the future of the web will look like. The release introduces a new programming language called Leo, a new community-driven package manager for Leo, and a new development environment, or IDE, called Alio Studio. We recently had Howard Wu, who is a co-founder of Alio, on the show for an interview. If you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend giving it a listen. I'll provide a link to the podcast, as well as a link to the developer preview in the show notes, so you can learn more about Alio and start contributing today. So thank you again, Alio. And now here's Alexandra's interview with us. Today we have something very different for you. We're going to be turning the tables. And so instead of Frederick and I asking the questions, we actually have our friend Alexandra with us, who's going to be asking us some questions. So hey, Alexandra. Hi. So the questions have been collected from some, call, like, we've put a few calls out to get some outside questions. And I know, Alexandra, you've put some together as well. A quick intro to you. So Alexandra is an independent marketing consultant that we have both worked with in various contexts and still work with today. And I guess today we're going to hear about these questions. We actually have not heard, we have not seen all of these questions before. And so I'm very curious to see what it's like. Do you want to maybe just let people know who you are? Yeah. Hi, I'm Alex. My background is mostly in marketing. Uh, several years ago, I fell down the crypto rabbit hole and ended up working at Parity, eventually as their head of marketing. So recently, I went freelance in order to pursue the question of how do we spread important and complicated ideas in a world where people are increasingly constructing their worldview via memes and microsecond impressions. And I've got to say how excited I am to be on the show. I have a very fond memory from the time when I was interviewing at Parody and trying to quickly remedy the fact that I knew very little about blockchain tech and I didn't want them to find that out. <laughs> uh, so my memory is of driving around San Francisco, listening to episode 15 with Robert Habermeyer on consensus algorithms. Oh. And my learning strategy was to just listen to it over and over and over <laughs> um, until it made sense, which kind of worked. And I got the job. So yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for creating such a great learning resource. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Alex. That's a funny story. So before we begin, I know that you both have shared your bios um, on the show, but maybe we can just do a quick recap. Um, so if you could both give a quick bio, plus something about your background that you have not shared on the podcast yet. Who goes first? Uh, Anna. <laughs> Oh, okay. For me, I, I like to start sort of the path to this podcast probably like eight, nine years ago when I first got into tech in general. But, you know, I was based in Berlin and I started to hang out around the hackathons and startup worlds here locally. And actually, yeah, I think the first hackathon I went to was like a games hackathon or something like that. And so I started going regularly. And from that, I actually, you know, developed an idea around an interactive video product. I met my co-founder for that project. We ended up building a company, founding a startup, and working, you know, doing kind of the full startup thing, like the pitching and the decks and the freaking, you know, I think there's like a startup Bible or some startup guide. We were pretty much following that model. And it was interesting and intense, and I was pushing myself, and it was pretty cool, but you know, after a few years of doing it, I realized that like it was pull, it was pushing me pretty far away from like myself. And I was following the model as defined by in a lot of ways, like other people. And then I would say like, 
around 2000, end of 2016, 2017, this was when I started to become more and more interested in the blockchain kind of stuff. And I had met Yuta Steiner like a few years previous when I was like pitching my startup. She and I had actually met and we'd stayed in touch and I knew she was in that space, but I hadn't really before then dived in. Um, so I started to get into it around that time. And then as like 2017 started to heat up, my startup had sort of plateaued, even though we still actually had some customers, it wasn't growing in the way I'd hoped. And I saw this kind of exciting new industry where a lot of the rules that I had learned in startups could be disregarded, like, and were being disregarded by the successful people in that space. So they were actually like, breaking the rules that I had learned, and it was working. And that for me was incredibly exciting and inspiring. And also just like, it was relief. It was this idea like, wait, wait, maybe these models and this way that you're supposed to do things is kind of bullshit. And maybe we can actually try doing it in a very different way. And that was one of the big attractions for me in the space. It was having come from this startup you know, guide-like scenario with the Y Combinator rules and all the things you're supposed to do, right? And then seeing people just like, yeah, be themselves in a much bigger way. And so, yeah, that was sort of the leap that I made. It, like later that year in 2017, I joined Parity. I worked there for nine months in total from that point onwards. A lot of people think I still work there. I don't. I haven't worked there in a long time, but I am still friends with a lot of the people at Parity. So that's why you might hear me sometimes mention that. I joined in, in the summer of 2017. That's where I met Frederick. And I think in the fall of 2017, that's when we actually started the podcast. And I think working in the space has been incredibly exciting because here I can, I've been able to challenge myself, but also definitely maintain like a closer proximity to my core and to what I, what I am and what I'm good at and what I like to do than I was when I was kind of trying to be a startup founder. I'm putting quote air quotes around that. Oh yeah, and then the thing that I don't haven't talked about and people might not know. So that startup, the interactive video product continued to live on while I started this this podcast and actually this year, this like right before the pandemic hit, we were able to sell the tech stack to a company, a new startup in San Francisco called Intelling Media and the company that I sold was Videopath. And this is something I'm super excited about and have had no reason to mention it on this podcast, but it's definitely like in my life, it's been a pretty cool event and something I'm, I'm happy that like that tech product, which I was always very proud of it. And I'm super happy that it has a new home. Yeah. I don't know. My background is as a programmer and I mean, I, I don't really like the term, but like tech entrepreneur as well, right? Like startup background. I came into it from the freelance angle. So I started freelancing in software development super early. I mean, I was working at, not even working, I was like 13 and I was at this internet cafe helping the guy who ran it like build computers. And then one day he was like, oh, I, I uh, need to set up a web store and need to find someone that can help me with that. And I, I had played around with websites. I was like, yeah, I could probably help you. And then I helped him and he gave me some money for that just as a token of gratitude. And I realized I could probably make money doing this. <laughs> and so I started freelancing around then at like 14. And I did that for a long time. And then after college, it was like, it never entered my mind that I would join a company because I'd always freelance. I'd always worked for myself. I'd always, I'd never had problems getting work that way. It was just like, okay, what do I do now? And, oh, there's this cool guy. Let's work on that project together. And so I was never like founding startups and like cargo culting this, this startup thing. Uh, it was just like, here's a cool thing we can build. Let's try to make some money with that. I don't know. That's how I got into tech and everything. And then at some point I had done this for a long time. This is kind of a thing that I haven't shared on the podcast before too. And like why I stopped doing that cycle is I realized I was working a lot in the SaaS space, right? After freelancing and then getting into web products and web 2.0, software as a service is, was the thing, still is the thing to a large degree on if you want to make money on the internet. And uh, I realized that quality does not matter 
in SaaS startup world. The only thing that matters is time to production. It's how quickly can you iterate? How quickly can you get something out there? Uh, the way we would build features often was like, we have an assumption of the user wants X. We add a button that says like, do X, but we wouldn't build the feature. We just put an analytics tracker and see how many people click that button. And then if enough people click that button, then we build the feature. And like quality, innovation, and driving things from first principles is not really SaaS world. And uh, I was super intrigued by, uh, I mean, I've talked about why I got into crypto in general before, but like one thing that I haven't talked much about is it was super intriguing because quality matters, security matters, it's systems programming, it's it's like hardcore engineering, you're dealing with networking, you're dealing with low level stuff as well as high level stuff. And just this notion that you're you're building a protocol, you're trying to satisfy a spec and your main focus isn't like, oh, will this user pay more if I have this or that thing, right? It's, you know, how can I implement this spec as efficiently as possible, this protocol? Um, and that was super intriguing to me to make that shift from a place where engineering and quality doesn't really matter at all to it matters a lot. And like, it's it's almost everything. So that that's a, lot, a large part of my shift into crypto. Can I ask what what's another kind of random thing that nobody knows about you? I don't know. That you haven't mentioned yet on the podcast? <laughs> This is my pandemic hobby. hobby is making sourdough bread. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I've actually gotten decent at it. It's it's hard to get the oven spring that I want, but it's I'm starting to get consistent, and uh, it's good. I don't know. Otherwise, it's sort of I don't know stuff that people that may that sometimes surprises people when I tell them. It's like I did martial arts for many years. I did powerlifting for many years. Being a computer person that doesn't necessarily look like I do those things, I guess it's <laughs> uh, interesting. I don't know. There's not that much else interesting about me. So there's a story that I've never, that I don't think we've ever really told here, but it was a very, I think the word would be fortuitous story or fortuitous event. So Frederick and I have a shared friend, Emmanuel, who we both knew independently before we met each other. And we, we were both very good friends with this person. And so I, before meeting Frederick, had actually heard of Frederick, this really smart guy who's one of Emmanuel's friends. I remember hearing about Fred's like wedding and Fred, like all of this before meeting him. And then when we actually met, it was like we both had started a parody on exactly the same day but had heard about each other. And so I remember the first message I sent over to you, Frederick, was like, hey, uh, I think we have a friend in common. You were like, are you Anna? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's it's a super strange coincidence. It's a, I mean, it's a friend that I've known since, since high school and uh, grew up in the same like little area of Sweden. And it's very random that we'd uh, have that friend in common. Totally. Cool. We should get into the AMA questions. So Pakushbu asks, how much time per week does each of you invest into researching the topics you are presenting? And he would also be interested in how and if that has changed throughout time. Mm. Yeah, it, it's definitely changed a lot. And this goes a little bit to the story of how this whole podcast started, but we maybe we get to that at some other points. For me, it, you know, it's it's a huge shift. I mean, the podcast in general from day one where Anna and I spent the same amount of time. Initially, I did all the editing and I did a lot of the prep work and spent about the same amount of time. Do you remember, can you remember how much time that was back then? I feel like it was a lot for every episode, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I got better at it and got more efficient. Initially, I was probably like four hours per hour of content and then got down to like three. And then at my most efficient, I think I'm at like two hours per hour of content. It's it's a lot of work to just like listen through everything, cut out all the ums, all the pauses, yeah. all the weird stuff. And yeah, but over time, uh, you know, my 
work in this has decreased drastically and Anna has taken over almost everything uh, at this point. So uh, when it comes to me for prep today, uh, I do almost nothing. <laughs> I mean, bo both both in terms of like reading up on what I'm supposed to be talking about. I do almost nothing. I just show up and no, oh, this is seems interesting. And I just ask questions. I mean, I think that in part also comes from just having done a lot of it, being in the space. I, I know most of this stuff before coming on the show, but it, there it is. It does happen every once in a while that it's something I don't know anything about, and I'm just like, I have no fucking clue, and I need to spend a couple hours reading up. And then it is like a couple hours, probably. Like that Isogenes episode, I remember both you and I had to do quite a bit of background on that because it was yeah. a topic that was new. Yeah, I, so I think that I agree with the, kind of the story that Frederick told. So early on, we definitely spent more time on it, researching. And nowadays, I've actually, I mean, we also have some help. So we have... Henrik, who does the editing for us. And Henrik's a, a friend of mine who, so he composed the intro music, actually both versions, the older version and the new version. And more recently, um, he's been taking over pretty much all of the editing. Um, so thanks, a big shout out to Henrik eh, for helping out. Also a fellow Swede. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would say like nowadays, I think I also probably do a lot less prep than I used to, although it depends on the episode. And as mentioned, we do have some help. But I would say like, one of the things I kind of like about the show is the name, the fact that we're called Zero Knowledge. I feel like we can always kind of fall back into like the whole point of this isn't for us to come deeply prepared and understanding all the nuances of a project. The point of this is for us two people who kind of do know a fair bit now about the space to come and have someone explain it to us somewhat from scratch. And so actually, I think, I, I think we've gotten that feedback once or twice where people were like, oh, I wish you had prepared your questions better. But I'm kind of like, well, that's not what this show is about. Yeah. This show is actually for people who don't know about the topic to come with us as we explore it. So It's always been the goal. I mean, from day one, we still keep that today is the goal is to be conversational. It's not an interview show per se. It's not like grilling someone. It's not like trying to like study all of the interviews done with this person in the past and ask new questions. The goal is to come and have a conversation that's hopefully enlightening to people and interesting to people. And I mean, I think for me, at least that comes from the kinds of podcasts that I like to listen to. Like one of my favorite podcasts of the past, it doesn't run anymore or does, but with different hosts. Uh, is the Bike Shed podcast, where it was just two guys who were both in the same field of programming, talking about their kind of weekly issues that they run into in, with work or programming news or whatever, right? And it's just like having a conversation on something that's interesting to them. And I like listening to that because it's interesting to them and it's a good conversation. And so, I don't know, it becomes engaging. And I super appreciate like a really good interview show as well. Uh, where it is super prepared, where the questions are really like insightful and trying to get at something new, but it's just a very different thing. <laughs> yeah. And I really appreciated, Anna, especially you would be kind of the voice that I would, you know, if I were in that conversation, I'd be like, I, I don't really get it. Like, can you, <laughs> you know, explain it a little bit differently or, you know, in a, in a different perspective? So that always was beneficial for me as a listener. Yeah, I, I've, I get that feedback a lot, actually. I mean, when I talk to people about the show that it wouldn't work if it wasn't the two of us, because like, if it's just me, I think the show would have two listeners <laughs> <laughs> and I would be one. Of them. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, if it was just Anna, like it, it's also a different vibe where I tend to do that deep dive into something and Anna tends not to. Mm -hmm. And so I think the combo is what makes it different, I guess. Like, uh, I think if it was just Anna, it would have way more listeners. <laughs> but it, Except it would it probably would... be kind of, I don't know. I feel like there was sometimes directions that I would try to go in and you like in a good way were like, let's keep it on, you know, on message. So I actually appreciate that we have the two of us. Yeah. I think it's made for a higher quality show. 
I wanted to know if you have any advice for non-technical people in the blockchain industry. Just because I feel like in this space, it's all about the technical people and like that's where the emphasis is. So yeah, I would love your insights. I do find, so in like, it's a very technical space. It's a very engineer focused space. And in a way, I kind of think about it like they're the artists or the like if you think of like the music industry or something, also an industry I was in a long time ago, they're the talent, right? They're the the creators of a lot of the stuff. And so I think the non-technical tends to be a little bit relegated and and sort of not as, va- like, I don't want to say that, but it's like it's a little bit less valued. And I think that is very frustrating to non-technical people who want to be involved. But I do think that there are there's like these bridge roles that are still missing, which is like understanding how to work with engineers, but not necessarily being engineers yourself. And that's definitely a place that I see myself, which is like, I'm not a dev, but I've worked with devs for many, many years. I understand the languages. I, I do do a lot of research into like how, how basically they're expressing themselves and then work really hard to figure out ways to channel that into language that a non-technical person could understand. I mean, I don't know if that fully answers your role because it's not really like, I don't also, I don't consider myself totally non-technical. I just don't consider myself the technical person. I think there is a big need for that role, actually. The people who can translate from the very technical to the non-technical. And I, I do think that like more and more teams are recognizing that. Like a lot of teams right now are looking for technical writers or people who can pull out of their engineers a lot of the information and make it into something that their customers or the general public could potentially understand. And so, yeah, I I actually think that uh, there's going to be more need for people like that. And so maybe that's just a way for someone who considers themselves non-technical to start thinking about it. Yeah. 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 Uh, So Pakesh Mu also asks, uh, what is your personal favorite episode and why? Other than this episode, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a tough one. I don't think there's like one. There's a couple. I definitely like the episode with uh, Zuko just because it's a great story. He's a good storyteller and introduces a lot of cool stuff as well in hopefully a relatively understandable way. The story with Griff, same thing. It's just a great story. <laughs> I remember one of my favorites was Sean Bo the first time he came on because I remember that was like, the first time he had talked about something pretty intense that had happened when they had discovered that Zcash vulnerability and like how that affected, you know, that was in a way like a lot of his life's work or for the last few years. And and I think in that episode, I don't know if we kept that part in, but like he had sort of said at some point, like, wow, this is the first time I've spoken about it. And it's quite cathartic. And I felt that when we were interviewing him too. Yeah. I also like a lot of the early episodes that were just friends like we we had an episode with just parody people it was cool to hear people's backstories but it's like probably not interesting to a wider audience it was just interesting to me i think that's like episode five we were sitting in a in a house in brandenburg around near a fire the sound is not good but it was a cozy interview setting there was five of us it was really cool we also talked uh, about like eips that were going through and being implemented and hard forks coming up and I mean, I, that's what I started the podcast for, like originally was talking about blockchain client development. Like that's what I wanted to learn about in there and trying to find that and not finding it going and starting it. Right. And so I think, um, all of those episodes that dig into, you know, what are the engineering challenges? How are you actually building that? And, you know, that's, that's always interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I think more recently, too, I really, I did like that episode we did on Isogenes with uh, Luca. And I also, I mean, I, I, we've met, to me, like through this podcast, we've gotten to meet and get to know some really, really interesting people like Dan Bonet. Yeah, for sure. And Ben and Ben and I, Tarun. I, I, we met Tarun because we did an interview with him. So that like, there's a lot of people that I feel now are friends who... We originally had an interview with. I can't name them all, so. <laughs> Gautam Demija asks, I'd love to learn how to market and grow the audience subscribers of your podcast. 
can really use some advice on this for my podcast. And of course, he's talking about uh, his podcast, blockshots.fm, uh, about learning blockchain. Ah, well, I don't think we have any advice for this because we don't do any of the things you're supposed to do, as far as I know. Like, I hear there's tricks. I don't think either of us have really done very much in that department. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It I think it's sort of also a little bit like um, there's all these YouTube videos from big YouTubers on like how to become a famous YouTuber. And they're almost all bullshit. And it's a little bit like you got lucky. And <laughs> there's an element of luck, but there's also like timing and, and a bunch of other stuff, right? Changing the name of the podcast, I think had a huge effect. And we were kind of lucky in that we picked a good name. We, we picked a name <laughs> that accidentally grabbed onto a whole community that didn't really have any other content and kind of just, okay, cool. They're here something. But there's also, we do like some basic stuff, right? Where don't have an intro that's too long and like all these like micro optimizations, but, um, other than that, it's just like, Anna, you're the, the Twitter person promoting it. Yeah. And like we do do Twitter. I think that's a bare minimum. <laughs> Actually, um, more recently, I should say more recently, we do have more channels. So we've started a subreddit. There's a YouTube channel. But I think what's weird is these things all kind of came organically. Like when we needed them, they got yeah. created. Like we didn't start a Twitter account f until like eight months in, I think. Yeah. And um the conference has helped too, right? Where not necessarily with like listeners, but building a community. So getting more loyal people in that will keep listening and building that community. Like whatever you can do to build that community, I think is that that's the startup world saying, right? Like get your first a hundred or a thousand loyal customers that love you. And then you're, you're set, right? Where they then start promoting you and acting on your behalf. So mm -hmm. I think it's uh, some of that too. That's good advice. So uh, ZK Fart, amazing username, <laughs> says, uh, first off, a giant thank you for all the effort and craftsmanship put into this podcast and community. Current circumstances have opened up more time to listen to podcasts. Are there any other podcasts that you personally enjoy? And also, are there any that pair well with zero knowledge? Mm. Well, Frederick, you mentioned one podcast that you liked bike shed yeah it stopped uh running though or at least in the way that i like it the only i i don't actually have i used to listen to a lot more podcasts um but there was one that i started listening to recently that's that's really good it's called distributed with matt mullenweg and uh it's in part it's talking about distributed companies and like that's a core part of it but it's also giving a ton of insight into how automatic the company behind WordPress works and runs. And I don't know, that's super interesting to me. But it's not ZK related at all <laughs> and barely tech related. <laughs> I listen to a bunch of other stuff, but also almost nothing that's tech related uh, or like crypto related. I don't know if people want general podcast recommendations. But. Go for it. There's a, there's a podcast called Extremities, which is super interesting, super well produced. I do tend to listen to the accidental tech podcast every once in a while, just because it's that same theme of just a couple of people who have interesting opinions and insights discussing mostly Apple news, but uh, also just general development stuff. I think on my side, so I the podcasts that I really have gotten into over the years have tended to be history-related ones. So I really loved uh, History of Rome and Revolutions podcast from Mike Duncan. I think he's my favorite podcaster, probably. And then I've also listened to Hardcore History. And a few months back, I don't know if anyone noticed, but I actually did an intro where I tried to sort of mimic the Hardcore History uh, <laughs> like accent or intonation. But I don't know if anyone got it, and they might have just thought I was being really weird. Those are really the main podcasts that I listen, have listened to for a long time. I've dabbled and tried to listen to some other ones. I think when it comes to tech podcasts, I know that the one that is often paired with us or compared to us, or we've been compared to, is like Epicenter. because And you'll see often we'll have sort of similar projects be on both. And I have at times wanted to hear their version of like, you know, them interviewing a guest that we'd had on or vice versa, just to see if they, you know, were able to glean a little bit more info 
So yeah, I think that seems to be one that pairs well. Yeah. So one podcast that's pretty new, but I've enjoyed is uh, the Uncommon Core podcast from Hasu. I think that's the name of the actual podcast as well. I've enjoyed that one. So that might be something for people to check out. Yeah, I, I think the epicenter comparison was also more accurate early on where we did a lot more blockchain stuff. I mean, we kind of go in and out of waves of doing blockchain projects, topics, and like hardcore just crypto or ZK topics. And I feel like they do less of that. But I agree, it's probably still something that pairs well. And other stuff that I would say is worth listening to, but I, I do very piecemeal and just pick like episodes where it seems in interesting and would pair decently with ours is like the A16Z podcast. Uh, the Bitcoin Podcast Network, which is like a whole range of different podcasts, and sometimes you find interesting topics in there. Uh, Pluto Egg asks, are there projects that you wanted to be on the podcast that you didn't interview due to perceiving them to not be interesting for your listeners, but that you later wished you had interviewed? Oh, I, I certainly never thought that. But, but that's also like my nature is not really that like i don't come from that angle i think about what would i think is interesting <laughs> and then i go after that i don't necessarily think like oh this is not going to be interesting to, to this audience or that or, hmm. but there's definitely people that i would still like to interview and i don't have a means of of getting right where <laughs> it's more that category yeah i'm trying to think i mean we we've been pitched a lot of projects the thing is is like and I do appreciate when people do pitch to us. I think it's it's interesting to see what's out there. But we tend to actually follow like something we're curious about. So a lot of our interview guests it happens because like we reach out to them. We've heard about them. We you know, we want to find out more. But this is a tricky question. Like there are people who've pitched us where I don't think that they'd be interesting to our listeners and then they don't come on. I don't know that there's anyone that but that... But would you think that they're interesting? I mean... Like, would you interview them for yourself? I think sometimes I have interviewed projects that I just find interesting. Yeah, there are some people who've pitched some... I, there's actually some really great projects that have pitched us where they just wouldn't fit. There may be too much in the financial side of things where yeah. it's really much more, like, it, it's closer to finance and pretty far away from zero knowledge and blockchain and those projects we don't tend to have on because those ones like maybe that's one where i would maybe be interested but i don't think our listeners would be interested but it, it wouldn't work yeah i don't think uh, I, I hear you in that there are are interesting like higher level apps that are just i mean it sounds like a cool app but there's no tech here right it's just mm -hmm. like a new <laughs> like thing that someone introduced and, and like it could be interesting but it's just not what we do on the podcast right uh i think there has been stuff like that what what would you what would your tip to people who want to pitch be what's the way to convince you to <laughs> be gotten on the podcast <laughs> oh god i don't know if i want to say this um well definitely one one thing I definitely prefer is when projects pitch with a topic that isn't just how great their project is, because I don't really find that that interesting. I don't know. And like, I think if there's like a like a, a theme or a topic where somebody really feels like this is their focus and they think it's relevant to zero knowledge research space or deep blockchain space, that's where they might pitch that and then I might be actually into it even if I haven't like heard of them but I would say like like I said a lot of the projects that come on they're projects that we seek out so we have heard about them somehow we've kind of been you know made aware of them or we've like discovered them ourselves and we're like oh this is kind of neat let's let's dig into it um, but yeah I think that when people are cold pitching that would be a, maybe a good way to at least start a conversation is like, this is a topic of interest and this is what we're really into. But it can't just be like, we're really into being more efficient, efficiency, or like, it can't just be yeah. like the one unique selling point of your project and you, that's your good thing or that's your topic. It should be a bit more uh, nuanced. I think. Yeah, it shouldn't be the uh, elevator pitch of the company or the project. I feel like that's, yeah, it's uninteresting to me as well. 
So Will from Parody asks, why start a podcast of all things? When I joined Parody, I so uh, I, a thing a way that I learn is listening to a podcast about that thing, right? So I joined Parody. I wanted to learn about how do people do blockchain client development, and I started looking around for podcasts that cover this, and I couldn't find any. And I asked around in the company chat, and no one else knew about anything either. And so I said, okay, let's start one then. And we started toying around with this idea in chat, and I know. Jeff, who was on the podcast in a couple episodes in the beginning, jumped in, Anna jumped into the conversation. And then I was like, okay, cool, we'll, we can make this happen. And I went and talked to Parody's then comps department. And I talked to Ashley and said, here's my idea. I want to do a podcast about this. Can we do this in Parody? She was like, no, I don't think it really belongs in Parody. And uh, it's probably not a good idea. And, and then I was like, well, I don't know who you are. Like, I just started that company. I'm just going to do it on my own then. Um, and I started to talk to Anna and Jeff, and we, we pulled it together and started doing a test recording in the, in the cafe next to the office. Didn't <laughs> and, turn out um, that good, but I don't think we used no. I think that was one that we didn't use. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. But it was also like intentionally like, oh, let's just figure out how to speak to each other. And then <laughs> we, I think we're even starting with the second episode, I think that, that we used. Yeah. That's what's weird about the show. If you go back to the first episode of the show, it's Rustfest 2017 or something like it's super yeah. random. It's not yeah. an introduction episode at all. And that was, I guess, version two of our attempt. So this leads to uh, a question from Anonymous, uh, which I'm very personally interested in. Um, why don't uh, why doesn't Frederick or Anna shill more? <laughs> I've been getting this criticism a lot. I think it's a nice criticism to get. Why don't you shill yeah. more? And for me, it's two factors. One is that I'm just not a very shilly person, right? It's sort of I like to talk about the merits of the projects that I'm working on, and I'm I'm happy to do that at any point. But it's I don't know. Shilling to me is also like a superficial, empty thing. Like that's part of the concept of shilling. If shilling just means like saying positive things about stuff you work on, then I wouldn't be opposed to doing that. But then that leads to the second thing, which is this is not a parody podcast and it's not why I'm here. It's not, I'm not here to pitch what I'm working on or say why what I'm doing is better than what everyone else is doing. Even if I might believe that, <laughs> like I, it's not my role here to say that. And I think it's important just from a moral standpoint to separate those two things. Like wh why are you doing things and like being rigorous in how you split those things up? I think in my case, I, think shilling is kind of tacky. I think it feels gross to do it. But I do I actually do do it a little bit. Like you know, a lot of the work that I've been doing does revolve around the zero knowledge research community, you know, that we first tapped into because of the podcast. And a lot of the things I work on have ZK at the beginning of them. It's in my Twitter bio if you want to check it out. <laughs> but in general, I mean, I have I have gotten the feedback like for example, earlier this year there was these episodes where there was no sponsor on it, which is f actually fine in my opinion. But I did have someone say like, "Why weren't you just talking about the projects that you're doing? You should have been talking about the validator. Like you should have pitched it at every moment." And I, and I was like, "Yeah, but like, I don't know. Then maybe there's too much of a. It's too combined. Like I actually I like that I wear these various hats at times." And I also like that on the podcast, like I get to just be like curious person and not co-founder of this or, you know, doing running the this thing. Like, I, I don't know. I do think that there's a little bit more mixture for me, but I do also just find it weird to constantly talk about like all the shit you're proud of. Although I did earlier in this episode brag about my my exit, but whatever. <laughs> so another question, uh, why pick this as a niche to make a podcast about? Zero knowledge. Yeah, we, we named the podcast Zero Knowledge we, we, we didn't <laughs> as <pick> a it. <laughs> joke. <laughs> I think it was Jeff who came up with it. Basically, said like, yeah. "You know, would be a good name, Zero Knowledge," and we all burst out laughing. We're like, "Ha ha!" Because we have zero knowledge, <laughs> and then it stuck. And I think yeah. it was. I think Kobe Gherkin actually tweeted something about this. 
I, I can't remember how he describes it, but it was like, it was one of the, what is it, retcon? Is that when you, the retelling of old stories? So yeah, he's like, yeah. this is one of the most epic retcons where it's like, we named ourselves by accident and then became the Zero Knowledge Podcast for real. <laughs> yeah. It's a good niche though. It's a, it's an underserved niche, which I think is also contributing to like Gautam's question of like, how do you make it popular? Pick something that's underserved. <laughs> but um it's also an amazing community. It's like the zero knowledge community is really cool because it's people who are super passionate, ideological, academic, like researchy and engineering and like finding this intersection of people who like research and academics, like engineering, have some ideological leaning and like support web three and the things that i think are important as well like i don't think there's any other community that actually intersects these things as much as the zero knowledge community another question how can i introduce this podcast to noobs i tend to point people at episode 21 the introduction to zero knowledge proofs that frederick and i did i don't think it's necessarily our best episode ever but it does introduce why, like, what the name of the podcast stands for. And we do very basic introductory examples. Like, we go into basic, basic introductory examples, like the Where's Waldo case and the Sudoku. Like, we really try to, like, I, I've, I've sent this to family members and they've been able to, like, understand what zero knowledge is roughly. And then they understand why our podcast is named that. So, I, I mean, that's where I usually send people. I never recommend that people start at the beginning <laughs> for our Rust Fest 2017 or that they start on the latest episode because like we've been learning a lot over the years. So we may sound like more advanced now. And it's also like the latest episode is also not like if that's a good entry point or not depends very much on what that episode is at that specific time. Like <laughs> True. it could be a completely random jump into the deep end of the pool of like some here's you know, presentation on Halo 2 and what your crypto primitives it has. Like, that <laughs> makes no sense to introduce with. Or it might be a completely random blockchain project where it, it doesn't tie into the name at all. Yeah. Because we, we do go, like, in and out of different tangents, right? So I think it's good to pick some starting point that sort of is on theme and makes sense. But I, I actually, I've never even tried introducing this to, to anyone, so I don't know where I would send them. <laughs> One last question uh, from the AMA. How do we fix the internet? We uh, make things verifiable. I think that's the core of it, right? It's even if you have to trust someone, you should be able to verify. And in the internet today, we have no ability to verify anything at all. And um, you think you might have, like if you're being served in HTTPS websites, you think that you might be able to verify that the publisher of that content is the person who bought the certificate, but that's not actually true. It has happened many times where this isn't true and the, the certificate authority fucked up. Um, and so I think the core of Web3 and how we fix the internet is introducing verifiability. There are many means of doing that and we're working on various ways of achieving that. Uh, but I think that's the, to me, that's the core of it. We spoke about how some of your favorite episodes have been about people telling stories. So are there any stories that are really exciting that you want to tell here? From our own lives or like from podcast history or? Um, I think or? like your experience in the space, I think would be really interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a really crazy space for sure. I mean, the space, I'm now talking about the blockchain space and not the zero-knowledge space. The zero-knowledge space has interesting stories too, but I think the, the major one is um, the Zcash exploits, uh, which is like a big story. Otherwise, it's still like so cutting-edge, so academic, so like, I don't know, non-story friendly. Non-drama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a little drama, but it's pretty yeah. tame. Yeah. But in the blockchain space... Yeah, there's a lot of drama, <laughs> a lot of fucking craziness. It's, I don't know if there's any specific story that comes to mind, but I think for me, like a big story of, of my past three years is obviously Parody's interaction with 
the Ethereum community and how we've gone in and out of favor for, I mean, I, I completely recognize like we fucked up with the hack and, and all this stuff and went out of favor with that. But then, I mean, a thing that I've learned is like communicating intention is incredibly hard to do, especially when there are malicious actors in the space, right? So when our intention has been to try to fix things and try to go, okay, let's figure this out together and make things better. It's come across as we're trying to destroy Ethereum <laughs> and it's just, holy shit. How did that, how, how did that twist happen? And like, for me, that's, you know, the, the most dramatic things that are, ha that have happened over the past couple of years have been these really wild things where we think one thing and then we send something out there and like the world interprets it 180 from the way we intended it. Yeah. So I've been outside. I, I have lived outside of, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of people at Parity, but I'm also friends with a lot of people in the Ethereum community. And I've seen some of these go down. Like, but I think you you nailed it where that is definitely a point of tension and, and drama and has been for a long time. And I hope that in a way, like with the disconnection with the open Ethereum and now like parody focusing on Polkadot, that maybe that tension can just be put to rest. They're just different. They're in different spaces now. And maybe there's bridges that can be built in the future. I've always really wanted like friends from these two camps to talk to each other or get along and, and hopefully maybe with some time that can happen. My feeling on this, the sort of the time that I've spent in this space and also the time that I've spent while kind of being the host of this podcast. I mean, the most dramatic, exciting times, in my opinion, were at the beginning um, in 2017. Just I, what I find cool is like, I'm happy that I got a chance to like, go through that. And I didn't gain anything. And I didn't lose anything from the the like hype of 2017 and the crash. Do you know what I mean? Like, nothing life changing happened to me at all. But I got to go along with it and I got to see it. I got to see friends' lives change. I got to see, you know, in the good and bad ways. And I and it was really exciting. And then 2018 was sort of like a little bit of a slow descent back to reality. 2019 felt like this is an industry that we're working in and it wasn't particularly overhyped at all. Um, and now we're seeing kind of like something's brewing again. And I'm happy that I've gone through the first, I'm glad that 2017, that I got to see that. Um, and I am very curious to see how the next few months pan out or years. I don't know. I don't want to make any predictions here. But it definitely, like, the one thing about it is there does tend to be consistently something going on that keeps us interested. The one thing I do worry, though, is like, okay, so... In our New Year's episode, I made two claims that I've since been called out for. One, that DeFi is stupid. And two, that like memes are dumb. Like both fails. I'm sorry. I think I've already mentioned this once on the podcast where I was wrong. I got it wrong. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got it wrong that it was like not going anywhere. Oh, you're right. Maybe dumb is fair, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, we're not going anywhere. We we don't know that yet, right? Where is it going? It's not gone anywhere so far. <laughs> I guess what I like, people are paying attention to it. I guess that yeah, that is sure. happening. Yeah. But I do get this feeling like as we've been kind of like going along and doing the zero knowledge research, deep dives and like learning about the math and the engineering, I, I feel like in a way we've become the like healthy snack and there's a lot of other things going on that feel like they're really exciting and shiny, but they're fast food and they're going to make you feel sick at the end. <laughs> and you know that, but you can't look away and you can't stop trying it because you're like, oh, well, I want to I want to taste that, too. But I do feel like what we do, I, I get the sense more and more that like what we're doing is at least trying to be pretty feet on the ground and genuinely be curious and not be swept away. But that does mean that we'll, you know, I might come off as like a grumpy old lady once in a while and be like, no memes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I think the podcast has the opposite effect where I think I would be in a very small engineering bubble that just looks at like a pretty narrow scope of like layer one blockchain building. And 
the podcast pulls me out of that a little bit and I go out of the bubble a little bit and I go more into fast food. <laughs> you got, this, is your, this is your onboard yeah. onto fast food. Yeah. For me, it's my, my you, know, you know, vegetable yeah. diet. Um, That's funny. Because <laughs> like, I think my bubble would be extremely small otherwise and it, this expands it a little bit. Um, but not so far as to think that uh, DeFi has done anything productive for the world. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting industry because you have all this idealism and and genuinely building something for a better society. And then you have a lot of people who have invested a bunch of money and, and want, you know, a certain thing to be the winner. And it's yeah. such a conflict of interest um with that. So Yeah, it, it is crazy. I mean it's with Polkadot Launch, it's also so interesting to see how many speculators suddenly appeared like the community was relatively small relatively quiet very focused on what are they building and when is this feature coming out and you know when can i get this rpc endpoint from the client and like very <laughs> grounded feedback and then it was like launch and suddenly you have completely random out of the blue questions opinions people who are saying this is the greatest project in the world ever like you've never heard of them before. You never they've never been part of the community and they're saying it's the best thing that could possibly exist. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool, thank you. But I I don't know how you came to that conclusion. I don't think you know anything about the project. <laughs> but uh it's it's fun. So Polkadot just launched. What are you looking forward to seeing happen on Polkadot? Uh it being used. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's the main thing now. Uh, I think uh, we as a company are switching around from you know, trying to deliver on a white paper to thinking more broadly, what is it that people need? What can we do to help build a healthy ecosystem? What even is a healthy ecosystem, right? The parody has had this kind of thing. It, it's not as widespread within parity that I would like it to be, but it's certainly at like sea level. It, it's definitely a thing that we say quite a lot is the things that we build should exist beyond the company. Like if the company ceases to exist tomorrow, everything that we've started, like the momentum that we started to build up, the, the movement that we've started building up should persist beyond us and, and continue to exist. Um, and while I recognize that Parity's role in Polkadot right now is maybe still something, right, where we still maintain one of the main client implementations, I think if Parity ceased to exist today, Polkadot would still continue. But what is like Parity's role going into the future then? Well, it's to to make sure that it's really easy to build on it, that the tooling is there for for builders who want to build dApps and yeah just make sure that we get to a point where this thing can live on its own and just continue to to thrive and like actually have meaningful applications built on it and that's i think a, is a huge question that no one in blockchain has solved yet right how do you build an actually meaningful application well some there there exists some right currency is a meaningful application but yeah, how how can we continue pushing towards Web three? I think is the general theme, and uh, it, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where we can go with that, and, and see how far we can push things. So, question for both of you: Is there any project that you'd like to see that you haven't seen yet? I would love to see more projects like the ZK game, like things that use zero knowledge proofs in these really accessible, interesting ways and it might be a way like maybe there's still a ways off before that can happen because it's very new and the tools aren't there and the ideas are still being developed but like that kind of thing is what I would like to see more of which is something that I can communicate to other people and they could actually participate in that use zero knowledge proofs in their core not just kind of added on to something that already exists that's what I would like to see more of. Yeah, I agree on that. Like getting more quote unquote end user applications that are just cool and fun. Like they don't have to be making people money or 
or like significantly changing the world or changing people's lives it can just be fun and and that's cool <laughs> uh, so I would definitely like to see more of that too and then there's like a bunch of projects that or a bunch of things that have been tackled in some way but I don't think it there's enough players trying to solve the problem so we run a centralization risk I think there's not enough players trying to solve file storage like incentivized file storage I don't think there's enough people trying to solve DNS as a problem. Uh, I mean, there, there's like Handshake and there's ENS and there's various approaches, but I just don't think that there are enough of them and I don't think any of them go far enough to actually solve the whole problem. Uh, I don't think decentralized compute, anyone actually has like a viable solution to that. Um, messaging like status is trying to do uh, like completely private metadata leakage free messaging is a huge topic that I would love to see a thousand companies working on, <laughs> but uh, there's like one or two. <laughs> so I think there's, there is an almost infinite amount of stuff in this space to do <laughs> and uh, would like to see being done. And where do you see the ZK industry going as a whole? In the past couple of years, there's definitely some trends that you can pick up on, right? One is going towards not having a trusted setup even though that's still the, the most efficient snark in the end for, for verification, there's more and more research being done on non-trusted setup systems. And then obviously there's, there's tons of innovation on like the crypto layer, but another trend is also like standardization, starting to standardize how do we express circuits? How do we interoperate between different proving systems? How can I send one circuit over to another proving system and have that actually be able to generate a proof for these? Uh, usually the, the circuit, the way you express the circuit is specific to the proving system or the specific library for that proving system. And so nothing is interoperable or like composable, I guess is the more correct term. And then um, another trend is tooling right, is, is sort of making things more accessible. We can't just rely on the, the paper being published and then calling it a day. Building really good li libraries, building really good languages, IDEs, like tooling throughout the whole stack to, to enable developers to actually build stuff. So I think that's where the industry is going, is to being without you know trusted setups, standardizing and building more tooling for accessibility. And I think on the use case, I think we are also seeing trends where projects that originally came out, you know, using zero knowledge proofs maybe for privacy, but now finding their space, like finding that actually where they're going to be used more is in the scaling idea or compression idea that emerged in the last year. And then you like you do what I sort of see now is like a lot of the ZK projects will kind of like be falling into one of these various camps as to what their main focus is. You also see some that are very much focused on existing blockchains, primarily Ethereum as like the ZK rollup or Validium type models. But then you also see some projects where they're like, we don't care about blockchains at all. And we are going to service existing companies with this sort of novel zero knowledge thing. And they might actually have a blockchain underneath it, but like they're going more towards the enterprise and what would you work on if you had unlimited time and funding? The best bakery in the world. <laughs> That's what you would be doing? Sourdough all day long. Or maybe farming. <laughs> I think there, there are many industries that require a fuck ton of starting capital that, I've, that I want to do, but I've never been able to do because tech is the only industry where you don't need starting capital. Yeah, I don't know what else I would do. Uh, Fix uh, global warming and world hunger, clean water for the whole world. I mean, if you have unlimited time and money, like there's a lot you can do. That would be a good thing. <laughs> totally. I wanted to shed a little bit of light onto Frederick's role as a CTO of Parity. I think you don't see it a lot uh, on this podcast. So I wanted to tell the story about one of my favorite memories of working with Frederick. So it's this one time and I'm freaking out about a deadline and talking to Frederick and he's like, eh, let's just do whatever we can in a reasonable manner. Uh, that's, that's all we can do. 
And he said it in this way where I really tapped into the truth of that and was just like, oh yeah, you're right. And I stopped freaking out, went back to, back to work, which is exactly like what you want to do in that situation, right? And only later did I realize like, wow, that's like a really judo move there. <laughs> so I tell this story as a way to convey the sort of uh, fierce chill and reasonableness that Frederick brings. Um, so that's my long segue into my question for Frederick. Uh, what is your management philosophy and how has it evolved over the years? Yeah, I don't know. Management philosophy is a, is a big, big word. I'm not sure I have one really. I mean, as I said uh, in my intro, like I've worked in startups, I've managed people before, I've been CTO before, and I've had worn a bunch of different hats in various roles, but I've always, you know, been a programmer at heart. And I joined Parity as a programmer. I worked only as a programmer for a long time in Parity and eventually grew into being CTO. And even in, in the beginning of being CTO, I would be coding a lot. And over the past two years, it has gone from some programming to no programming. I, I do struggle to even call myself a developer. I don't think I am a developer anymore today. I am a manager and it's definitely been a, a learning curve for me as well. And, and my management philosophy has been to spend a lot of time with the people, right? It, I don't want to get disconnected from the people doing the work because ultimately the organization is just a collective of those people. So if you understand those people, you know, you understand the organization and its needs. Question for Anna. What have you learned through being a validator? Validator. Yes. <laughs> VK Validator. Let's talk about that project. <laughs> okay. I think the Validator project, I've mentioned this before, but like it started very much as a test. We wanted to see if it would make sense. Like now the ZK Validator is a project that we, I do separately from the podcast, but it's also related to zero knowledge proof research and working with the networks where we act as a validator in the proof of stake sense. Actually, like working with those networks to champions your knowledge proof and privacy tech as well as connect with the teams that are potentially building that kind of stuff in or around those networks so i think the thing that i've actually learned about the most was just like how rich these networks are i think uh before this point i was very much still kind of only seeing a lot of like the ethereum and the ethereum ecosystem projects but i think by being a validator on other networks, you just get closer to like all these other projects that are working in those networks. And you may not have heard so much about them, but in the networks themselves, they're actually kind of, you know, a big deal or doing some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, I think it's a, for me, it's a great project to learn more and to like see more of what's going on in a wider space. Although I must say like the space that I still don't know and don't know if I'll ever know, is like all the Bitcoin stuff and everything that happened before. It's like I started 2017 and just went forward and I have not ever been pulled into anything older. And I don't know if it's like, maybe it's where I live, the fact that I'm in Berlin, maybe it's, you know, how I entered the space in general, but yeah, I have not had much intro into that part. We should get get someone to talk about the current state of Bitcoin. What what's going on in the ecosystem? Because I, I don't really I mean you hear about random stuff. Oh, there's Lightning Network, but that was like three years ago. What what's actually yeah. new in Bitcoin? I don't I don't know either. We were approaching the next online ZK summit. Uh, what's your favorite aspect of ZK Summit? Well I think the summits are amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also happen to organize them. <laughs> I have a ton of fun. I get to see all my friends. I get to learn new things. I mean, I don't know what's the favorite. I mean, the in-person, we did four Zero Knowledge Summits before we went online. We went online in March and we didn't, I mean, it was out of necessity. But um, I think the summit is just a great gathering moment for people that are working on this stuff. And I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. The next online ZK Summit is not yet confirmed for when it's going to happen, but very likely it's going to happen this fall, probably later in the year. Um, and I will be sharing some details about that as it comes. Like I mentioned earlier, like the ZK Summit was the spawn of like the community around the, the podcast. And I think that's the best thing about it too, is like it is an opportunity for the community to come together. 
It is harder when it's not in person. Yeah. Then it's an extension of the Telegram group. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's still it's still a cool event. It's still there's always something new that shows up and like new ways of talking about things. So it's somewhere like in feeling between an academic and an industry conference, which is interesting. I know that there are people who save up a little bit for the ZK Summit in terms of like, you know, coming out with some new project or something like that. And that's cool. Yeah, I hope that the online version can kind of maintain some of the momentum until we can get back to the real, the in-person version. I mean, it would be amazing if next like March or something, we could do another in-person. But I don't think it makes any sense for the fall. Like I have zero hope for the fall. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Everything will remain canceled. Cool. I think that about wraps up all of our questions. Well, thank you, Alexandra, for coming on and asking us all these questions. Yeah, thank you. I, it's an interesting angle, <laughs> right? Where it, it's a very different format. I, I wonder what people think of it and if they want more of this. I don't know. Maybe it's a format that's interesting to some. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. So thanks so much. And to your listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.